Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 42, the Jackie Robinson episode, Friday, April 19th, 2019. And happy Good Friday, happy Passover, happy 420, happy Easter, and happy Earth Day to you all. The next few days are littered with holidays. On today's pod, I will touch on some quick hitters and then dive into some talk on the NBA playoffs and the upcoming NFL draft. But first, I want to start this pod out with a special tribute to someone who quite literally changed my life to the point where I can honestly say that I would not be doing this podcast if it were not for them. And that person is David Malinsky, the late, great David Malinsky. Um, on the very first podcast I did last September, I, I dedicated this entire pod to David Malinsky. One year ago from this very week, um, Dave went missing while hiking Mount Charleston, just outside of Las Vegas. He was doing research uh, for a personal passion project about the bristlecone pines out there. Some of the oldest trees on earth are located up at the top of Mount Charleston. And Dave was out there researching them uh, for, he's doing a project on eco-psychology, of course. Um, And he went missing on April 14th. It was a Saturday. Um, I'll never forget that day. I didn't know he was missing that day, but it wasn't reported until widely until the following Monday that his um, he was missing. They couldn't find him. Um, and they didn't find his body until this day a year ago. This Friday. It was Friday night. I believe it was 420. Um, and I'll never forget that week. And it'll forever be one of the longest weeks of my life. Um, just because he was such a fixture in my life, a day-to-day fixture. And honestly, I he was the guy who taught me for three years um, about sports handicapping. And he had like a little... A uh, group of followers, I guess the Malinsky disciples, you can call them now, uh, that you know kind of interacted with him daily. And uh, so I'm going to go into really quickly how I discovered him because it actually is intertwined with my development, I guess, as a, a sports handicapper. But how I discovered him. So I used to listen to a lot of ESPN radio about four years ago. Um, you know, and it's mainly ESPN Chicago, like Carmen and Yurko, Waddle and Sylvie, but they brought on a guy named R.J. Bell, who all of you know, uh, he's a household name now, but R.J. Bell came on Carmen and Yurko's show to talk to talk about uh, just the Vegas angle and stuff, and I obviously was very interested in that, uh, being a you know, degenerate myself, and so I, I was interested in R.J. Bell, looked into him and found his website, pregame.com, which I still use regularly for, for sports betting information. They have a pretty useful website over there. And when I was on pregame, I discovered this guy who was um, posting a daily column on there. And his name was David Malinsky, and he was, they called him the professor. And he was an older guy who had worked with Billy Walters and just had a really unique perspective on sports betting in general. And he ran a, a daily column that was basically the Wall Street Journal for, for sports betting, where he'd talk about um, just various topics and provide actionable information as well, but he'd look at things from an angle that literally nobody else I'd ever encountered looked at. And the best thing about him, though, the thing that really appealed for me was just his high, how high of a level of intelligence and how well-spoken this guy was uh, for an older guy. Um, he was 57 when he passed away, so when I discovered him about three or four years ago, he was, he was still an older guy, but he was coming up with stuff that I'd never seen before, and, and his writing was just as good as, as uh, how well-spoken he was as well. So um, I became involved with interacting daily or somewhat daily with him when he was on the pregame platform, um, when he was running his column there. But then, uh, Dave left pregame, uh, about two, a little over two years ago. 
and moved over to Sportsbook Review, SBR. He brought his point-blank column there um, and wrote his daily column there. So it's, that's where I, I got really more involved with Malinsky um, and you know, just participating in his, his, uh, the responses to his, um, his daily column. And the best thing about him, though, is he interacted with everybody. He answered literally every question that someone would ask. Um, the best way to describe Malinsky for anybody is um, he basically he had the intelligence level of a nuclear physicist, the temperament of Barack Obama, and the selflessness and generosity of, of Gandhi. That was David Malinsky, and I, I personally believe he was the most interesting man in the world. Some of the stories he would tell, um, he spent a lot of time in, in Latin America, uh, behind the counter, building sports books back in the day. Um, actually got his start as a sports journalist out of high school in, in uh, western Pennsylvania, and that's where he kind of got exposed to uh, you know sports betting at that young age. And then he became one of the most successful, and in my opinion, the best uh, sports handicapper of all time and spent the next few decades uh, becoming a household name. Anybody uh, in the sports betting industry worth their salt knows who David Malinsky is. But for me, I always consider it one of the best um, the best opportunities and one of the best things I was ever involved in was, was interacting with him daily and just learning from him. Everything I know about sports betting, um, every handicapping principle that I know, I can credit to David Malinsky, and and he also had a great take on things besides sports betting. I mean, this guy was so well rounded. He had um, great opinions on on pop culture, politics, um, anything you could really think about. He was very well versed in, incredibly intelligent, and very well spoken. Um, he he had a spot on Veasan um, before he passed away on Follow the Money with Mitch Moss and uh, Polly Howard. Um, did a daily spot with them, came on, and you could just tell he, he, he was getting a following just, just based off that daily appearance. People were, you know, he's the kind of guy you stop and listen when he starts talking. So um, for me, the perhaps the most cruel thing, though, that happened is that uh, he went missing. Molinsky went missing one month to the day uh, before PASPA was overturned by the Supreme Court. I mean, he knew it was coming, that the you know the past will be overturned, and I think everybody truly knew it was coming. It was just a matter of when, not if. But I truly believe that today he would have been a star. He was the smartest mind out there when it came to the industry as a whole, and he would have been the ideal representative, in my opinion, uh, for professional sports betters everywhere. So that was the true, just ironic, terrible thing that happened. Is just the timing of his of his death. Um, just incredibly sad. I don't think there's a more just cruel thing. Uh, that happened in the sports betting industry that nobody's really aware of. Um, but his, he was the best, Dave Malinsky. Um, I encourage anybody who's interested in learning how to be a better sports handicapper to, to Google him, Google his old columns. There's tons of information on the Internet um, from stuff he's posted, and you can get a feel for how great of a writer and how great of a mind he was just by reading one of his, his daily columns. And he really was the best. He was the best sports handicapper. He came up with angles that I have never even considered and he was always very he always stressed getting the best number and was all about that so he taught me like all of the prime handicapping principles that I follow uh, I have him to thank for everything so Dave wherever you are God bless you and your legacy will live on let's move forward with some quick hitters yeah, buddy. Tiger Woods wins the Masters 
Even coming off of Virginia's storybook tourney run in college basketball, Tiger winning the Masters is unquestionably the biggest sports story of the year, and one can argue it's on the short list for uh, best sports story of the entire decade. I'm sure all of you have heard about this, but one William Hill betters $85,000 bet at Tiger at, at a 14 to 1 made him a millionaire. James Aducci from Wisconsin, he won $1.19 million. But the resulting story uh, from that guy in the fallout is very suspect and, in my opinion, doesn't add up. Um, there was obviously a big news stories being run on the guy because everyone knew that there was this big $85,000 bet, but no one knew who it was. And he came forward and uh, you know did the whole photo op with William Hill getting the big check and everything like that. But he told a story. Actually, he went on VSIN and some other radio shows and kind of told the story. And when you hear the story about how he got down, it really didn't make any sense. He was saying how him and his wife were, um, you know, they're 25K in the hole around Christmas and then finally got the funds together by selling some Amazon stock to uh, make the $85,000 bet. But... And the story told from being in Vegas was even more bizarre because he made phone calls to a few different books. And I know the Westgate said they can only give him $10,000 in action. He wanted to get down the 85 k And when he finally got uh, the call with William Hill, he told them he had to go to the bank really quickly to go get the cash and buy like a, a, a backpack to put the cash in. And he took a lift ride and stuff. He said he, this is all from him himself. He took a lift ride with the cash and everything, but... There's just a lot of holes in that story. Like a bank just doesn't give you $85,000 like just when you go right in there and stuff. And then taking a lift ride with that backpack. I don't know. Some of that just doesn't add up to me. But the fallout happened after the story was released about him. and People did some digging. And this guy has an extensive criminal history in the state of Wisconsin. And he's also not married to the woman that he claims uh, is his wife. So there's already some, you know, just holes poked in his story right off the bat, but I'm of the belief that there's more going on here that we'll probably hear some stuff later on about this guy. I don't know if he's, um, you know, trying to launder money somehow, he's above the wrong people, or he's, you know, there's other stuff up his sleeve right now, but it just doesn't add up for me, especially given his his criminal history. I'm happy for the guy, because I always like seeing people win. I'm always a fan of seeing people uh, beat the sports books, especially William Hill, who's well known for shutting out winning players. So I love when they get it stuck to them. But this one just doesn't really add up to me. And <laughs> there's actually a theory out there that FanDuel, because FanDuel is offering a, a Tiger promotion and basically doing um, multipliers, like boosts on his odds as the tournament went on. So they got crushed as well. But there's rumors that FanDuel was, uh, he was the guy that FanDuel chose to be their their hedge guy and go in and <laughs> put the $85,000 on their behalf. But uh, maybe we'll never really know, but it was a crazy story seeing a guy win this much money off of Tiger. And, uh, you know, good for you for taking it to William Hill. James, or not James, what, uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, James Aducci. <laughs> Jeopardy James. This is the other James. James Holzhauer, a 34-year-old professional sports better, is in the midst of a historic Jeopardy run right now. For all my Chicago people, he grew up in Naperville and went to Naperville North. This dude is tearing Jeopardy a new asshole right now. He's on an 11-day streak and has amassed $771,000, yeah, $772,000 just about in winnings, which is already the second most of all time. And uh, you know, God willing, he's not going to lose his streak today after I post this podcast, but he already holds the top four highest winning single-day uh, earnings of all time. 
So how does he do this? And like for anybody that doesn't really know Jeopardy, basically they do one round of single Jeopardy, then the next round is double Jeopardy, or they double the prices and then final Jeopardy. And I've been watching them every day because this is appointment television. I record the Jeopardy every day now. And his strategy is just so spot on. He uses optimal betting. Just You could tell he uses a lot of his sports betting, um, plus EV, um, optimal betting strategy in Jeopardy. So what he does is, at the beginning, and I think this has, serves a dual purpose, he he goes after the higher numbers first. So he'll do the $1,000 questions first across the categories. And obviously this works for him because his strategies, he knows so much, and the guy's obviously brilliant. But his theory is if he picks off those big numbers early, and the dual purpose being if the people he goes up against, he's kind of catching them. You know, They're nervous to play. He's a returning champion. These people are nervous, and when you do the hard, expensive questions first, they're probably – you're probably going to catch them off guard more, even though they know it's coming now. But the big reason why he does it is he builds up more of a bankroll early, and when he gets the daily doubles, he's incredibly aggressive with how much he bets, and usually he goes all in, especially on the first round. So when he gets all those thousand-dollar buildups, you know, all those big numbers early, he amasses a bigger number early, so he's able to double down early. And you see him, you know, getting up to like the final scores at the end of the first round are often like you know, 20K for him, 25K for him, and 1,000, 2,000 for everybody else. That's what we're used to seeing now. So his strategy, it obviously works, and he uses like crazy dates also that signify things. He's just a great, um, I mean, obviously a great player. He's probably the best of all time on Jeopardy, and I really hope he has a long run because I think he's a great ambassador for professional sports bettors right now, unlike the James Aducci, the other James, the guy who won the, the Tiger bet. I think that Jeopardy James is a great representative for professional sports bettors. And this is coming at a great time as sports betting is being legalized, kind of changing the public perception of what a pro sports better actually is. <laughs> Iowa has passed a sports betting bill in the Senate, and the House is expected to pass it as well pretty quickly. The best part about the Iowa bill is it has a very, very reasonable uh, structure, in my opinion. There's a 6.75% tax rate on sports betting revenue, as opposed to, you know, you see some states like Illinois' proposed uh, tax rate and also what Pennsylvania has that are up in like the high teens or even like 20%. Um, so that low tax rate for Iowa, which is very similar to Nevada, as I've said, I think all states should be modeling as close to Nevada as they can because they've been doing it for decades. Um, there's only a $45,000 licensing fee in Iowa, plus a, a $10,000 renewal fee for operators. And best of all, they're going to have mobile betting, too. My only qualms with the Iowa law is there's an in-person registration necessary until 2021 for mobile betting. And they're also prohibiting prop bets on in-state college teams. Um, I understand the reasoning behind this, but I think it's very ignorant and short-sighted. Um, as a solution from an integrity standpoint. These are bets that people are going to make and they're going to find a way to make regardless. So I think if you keep those above board and regulated, that's the way to go. I understand the reasoning behind it. And besides that, I think this bill is very reasonable. It has a tax rate similar to Nevada, like I already said, that will allow operators room to breathe. And personally, I can't wait to go to Riverside Casino outside of Iowa City this fall. Take notice, Illinois. The Alliance of American Football has officially filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy, claiming $11.3 million in assets and $48.3 million in liabilities. Ouch. It'll be very interesting to see how the XFL performs next year, especially in light of all of this, but I personally believe the XFL is going to do really well. Um, the commissioner, Oliver Luck, Andrew's daddy, 
he came out the other day and said that the XFL broadcasting agreement will make sure that every game is on a cable TV network. I think that's important. But also I think the XFL just can learn from the mistakes of the Alliance of American football and and actually have some success next year. I think they're going to put the proper money in. Um, obviously, Vince McMahon has all, all the money and all the investing in this league. So I think he appears to be not cheap at all in this where whereas the AAF you know there's just a shortage of money when it came down to it and the XFL I think that's going to be the opposite so I think the XFL has a lot more of a chance anybody that says the XFL is going to suffer the same fate as the Alliance of American Football I think uh, that's incorrect just because the XFL has so much more money that they're dealing with NFL schedules are out, and week one lines are up, along with season win totals. Amazingly, the New York Jets do not leave the Eastern time zone at all, all year. And another eye-popper is that the Baltimore Ravens are the only team, and maybe the only team in history, not quite sure, that flips home and away for every single game. So they never play back-to-back home games or back-to-back road games, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, the, the early lines are up. The week one lines, they're... The limits are incredibly small on these, understandably, just because it's so early. And obviously, it's really hard to make an informed opinion on these uh, right now because it's before the NFL draft. There's still more moves that need to be made. It's very early. But I think as to, as a better, taking an early position on some of these um, is a good move. And there's a couple games that I've looked at, one that I've already put into pocket myself. Um, I'm looking at positions where the numbers... so. The two games to look at are these, the Oakland Raiders hosting the Denver Broncos, and then the Giants, um, I was talking to Danimal about this one earlier, the Giants at Dallas. And in this situation, the Raiders, I found them laying, I think the consensus line is minus two and a half, minus two, and that's below the key number of three. So I think locking in a position on them under three is a prudent move right now, only because the downside of it is it's you know, it's very unlikely to to get much worse. I mean, they're not, at worst, maybe they'll move to pick them. I can't see it moving all the way to three the other way. So getting anything under a field goal um, on the Raiders, I think, is is a prudent move just because that can go up to three or even over three. But there's not much of a risk involved by, by taking that uh, that early position at under three. And I actually found a, a money line at minus 125, and that's what I put into pocket. Um, the Giants, if you can get plus seven and a half, it's the same reasoning here. Um, I've seen some sevens. I, I wouldn't play it there, but if you can find seven and a half, getting seven and a half points or better uh, at normal juice, I think that's a good position to take only because similarly, the there's not much to lose there. The line's not going to move up to 10, which would be crazy if it did. I mean, it obviously can, but highly unlikely. And you're looking at a worst case scenario, it moves up to eight or nine, which are not really, those are not key numbers at all in the NFL. Um, but on the flip side, this number can only, really move the other way, I think, and go to seven or, or go under the key number of seven. So locking in that initial position on the Giants right now, uh, even though it's before the draft and there's so much more uncertainty, but locking them in at seven and a half or better, um, it's there's not much risk involved there, and you can always come off the position uh, later on. All right, so now let's move on to some talk on the NBA playoffs. Yeah, baby! Yeah! <laughs> So interestingly so far, the line has not mattered in all 16 of the NBA playoff games so far. Um, the favorites have covered when they've won, and when the dogs have covered, they've won the game outright. So we haven't seen a situation yet where the favorites have won the game but not covered. Um, but I'm going to touch right now on zigzag theory and any NBA 
handicapper knows about this. It was one of the best things going for decades in NBA betting. Uh, basically, the zigzag theory being one team loses one game, they're more likely to come out with extra fire, extra motivation in the next game, and the team that won the first playoff game is going to kind of let off you know, the rope a little bit, um, maybe not bring the same intensity as much, and you'd often see you know, a flip-flop on the lines against the spread. The team that covers the first game against the spread, then the other team will cover against the spread. That's the zigzag. Um, so one of the best sport, uh, bets in sports was really looking at, at zigzag. But of course, just like all trends, the market sharpens up and the market begins to price the trend into the betting line. And that started happening, year, happening years ago with the zigzag theory. Um, long-term data you know, shows that you know, the zigzag theory was a thing. It was a long-term winning thing. But when you look at shorter-term sample sizes, uh, it's starting to even out at 50-50. And similarly, another bet that was one of the best bets in sports was teams in the NBA playoffs coming home down 0-2 in the series and playing on that team in the first quarter in the first half. Um, similarly, the market caught on to that. And that was an incredible run when you look at the long-term numbers on that one. But same thing, when you look at the short-term data, the more recent data shows close to a 50-50 split because people are onto this and it becomes priced into the line. So you see this with the games tonight. The Pacers are at home. Um, They're down 0-2 in the series hosting the Celtics. And they're laying three in the game right now. But the first quarter line is also minus three. And the first half line is minus two and a half. I haven't seen some minus threes there as well. So usually, uh, rule of thumb is, obviously, the first half line is going to be half of the full game line, uh, normally, in the NBA and college basketball. And the first quarter line is going to obviously be close to a half, maybe a little bit more than, than half of the first half line. But this stuff's already priced in, as you can tell. The Thunder, similarly, they're laying eight full game, but you see that they're laying six and a half, six in the first half, and four in the first quarter. So in short, if you think you're being smart by playing this trend and getting the team that you think will bring uh, max motivation, be aware that this is all being priced in already. I mean, sure, you might win some of these, but I fear that long-term winning, playing this angle is done with. And if anything, uh, there might be value starting to play back the other side moving forward. Um, It's just the market's too smart. They got onto this. But either way, when you look at the Lions, just be aware of that stuff. I think it's still, you know, maybe worth the play when you consider it. But obviously you're not getting any value when you bet that. So I'm staying away from those myself. In terms of the actual games, um, when you look at the Thunder, I actually got a series price on them. I found a minus 120 on them to win the series when the market was about minus 185. A little worried about that one right now, obviously. Um, But when you kind of look at the data on the way, um, or the stats from the first two games, the just the incredible three-point shooting by the Trailblazers. I don't think they can keep that up. But on the flip side, Russell Westbrook, I mean, I think they are playing him perfectly, allowing him to shoot from the outside, which is definitely the way to beat the Thunder, especially with Paul George banged up. But Westbrook, I think he went one for ten from three-point land in the second game. And uh, the guy's just not very good. I think he's the most overrated NBA player that there is, a stat-padding guy. And the team allowed him to pad his stats and get these average these triple doubles. But when it comes down to it, the guy only has three playoff wins since Durant left, and he's just not. He just pads his stats. That's all he cares about, and he can't shoot. Um, if he actually played point guard and dished the ball out, he's, he can be an incredible player. But he shoots too much, and I think on defense too, he's more worried about getting those rebounds, especially during the regular season. I think I brought this up in a previous pod, but Stephen Adams had more three point contests on defense than Russell Westbrook did last year. Maybe it was the year before that. But uh, 
it's an eye opener. It might not have been Stephen Adams, but it was a post player that that had uh, more three point contests. So. Not the biggest believer in that. I still think, especially when you look at the eight-point line, I don't think there's any value on betting the Thunder tonight, but I think they can get back in the series and still win the series, especially if Paul George can uh, can get healthy. But, uh, yeah, Westbrook, no bueno. Um, and then last thing before I move on to, to the NFL draft here, the Warriors and the Rockets looked poised to play each other in the next round. I think that's going to be great theater. I think that series can easily go seven. We've already seen some chinks in the armor for the Warriors, and – you know, everybody knows they're the best team. I, I've got them at minus 185 to win the... I've got a position on them to win the whole thing, but I might look into the Rockets in the series price in the series if I can get a certain number just because I think that they're the team that can uh, obviously give the Warriors um, their biggest challenge. I mean, some people say the Bucks if they make it to the finals, but um, but I think this could be a really close series, and when you look at the way that Harden's playing, obviously, uh, this team can compete with the Warriors, and I think that'll be a really good one in the semifinals. All right, now let's move on to some talk on the upcoming NFL Draft. Hello! As we all know, the NFL is a year-round sport, and it takes center stage next week as the NFL Draft comes to us live for the weekend. It's going to be fun to watch, but uh, more importantly, I'm trying to make money off of this, and naturally, there's a lot of betting options uh, when it comes to the NFL Draft in terms of Betting in America, Nevada first offered NFL draft props in 2016. They did okay that year, but last year, sportsbook operators in Nevada got pretty crushed. It was mainly Sharps who are betting this stuff, and uh, they're obviously reluctant to put those up this year. Some books haven't even put them up, and they got to take them down by Tuesday according to the, uh, the regulations in Nevada, so is it really even worthwhile for putting it up? I know they don't want to. Uh, but there's other places to get down on the NFL draft, and you can find value just like in any other betting market. The question becomes, where do you find the value? you got to move quickly when you find it, and I'm not going to get into actual handicapping the NFL draft because I don't do it. I mean, it's obviously based, a lot of it's based off perception, but more importantly, it's based off information. So you've got to find information that you trust and go from there, obviously, but when you do think you have value, you've got to move quickly in this market. The Sharps will gobble up any mispricing and any value right away. So a lot of this moves on information. Obviously, um, the betting limits are a lot smaller in NFL drafts for obvious reasons, just because uh, there's, there's the lines are so soft, obviously. But it moves off information. So if you can be quick to info or finding out information, you can get down quickly uh, and get ahead of the books because I think it's more advantage betters when you consider that and how fast the information moves today, especially in the Twitter era. Um, but another thing to be aware of when you're making these bets is trades, because these draft day trades obviously occur. There's going to be tons of them, and that can totally shift when a player is going to be drafted. Obviously, right now you can get down on props like, will Kyler Murray be the number one pick? And some other things that involve you know quarterbacks early on. But I would be especially aware of the quarterback situation, teams wanting to trade up to get their guy and stuff like that. So I, I think that's another thing you got to be aware of. It's like a another layer that you have to go through when you're making these is, is assess the potential odds of, of the team making a trade. So for me, the only ones I'm kind of looking at right now um, is over two or two and a half wide receivers selected in the first round. If you can find two, I think that's an amazing bet. But I'm sure it'll be juiced out to the moon. But 
DK Metcalf of Ole Miss and Hollywood Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma are pretty much locks, in my opinion, to go in the first round. So if you can get two anywhere, I think that's great. Um, two and a half becomes a little more questionable, but I think I'm looking that way just because uh, there's a bigger crop and teams, uh, there's a nice crop of wide receivers. And I think teams are really trying to see the value and trying to starting to notice the value in taking a wide receiver early um, and the importance of wide receivers in the NFL moving forward. But that's the only way I'm really looking right now. I do think Keller Murray is going to go first. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with with everybody and um, which direction teams decide to go. Next week, I'll be back with the long-awaited Karan Harper interview where we'll take a look at the NFL draft and touch on a variety of other topics. But that's what I'm going to do next week. I'm going to touch on NFL draft props, try and find some value there, at least see maybe where the money's going, see if we can find some, some value in that next week. But that'll do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod. As usual, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice for betting-related information and for best bets. But otherwise, I will be back next week with that NFL draft shit and with the Cron Harper interview. Talk to you all then. Doggy Juice out.